All right, well, hey, good morning, friendship. Um, are y'all ready for this? Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> you know, I was talking this morning with Laura, and it was like, sex, money, and politics are kind of like the unholy preaching trinity, you know, for a pastor. Um, and we're going to tackle it. Uh, one of the things I, I enjoy about doing this kind of thing is it challenges me, it stretches me, and uh, hopefully I can at least be a model of, you know, pushing outside my comfort zone. That's where God usually likes to grow us. Uh, my name's Andrew, by the way, if I, if I don't know you, but I'm glad that you're here. Folks are watching online as well. Um, you know, we live in a very divided age. I don't know if you all have noticed that. <laughs> it's like this crazy cocktail, 2020, of all these things converging, and it's gonna culminate in a presidential election. So this year is an amazing uh, time to live in. Um, but I, I, wanna, I wanna confess to you, you know, if I'm being honest, I have not really wanted to do this sermon series, or even this morning. Uh, I've been pretty apprehensive about doing it because this is, again, way outside of my comfort zone. Uh, And uh, I do have to make a confession as well. You know, one of my first Sundays here, I remember making a statement publicly where I said, I hate politics. I feel like I have to repent of that because I hate some of, of what the political scene looks like in our country, but I've been convicted about this. And really, I've just wanted to avoid this subject altogether. This has kind of been my approach to politics. And I've been convicted that that's, that's probably not the way God has called us as, as followers of Jesus to behave or to be salt and light. And so how do we do that in the midst of all that's going on in our country? And there's this quote that came out of this book, How the Nations Rage, Jonathan Lehman. He said this, A Christian's political posture, in a word, must never be withdrawal, nor should it be dominance. It must always be present, and we must do this when the world loves us and when it despises us. And I'm convicted by that statement because, you know, a lot of times we can take one extreme or the other where we totally withdraw and ignore and kind of bury our heads in the sand and hope it goes away, or we can try to exert dominance and try to change the world and try to convert the world over to our ideology. And, and, and a Christian's posture, he says, is not to withdraw, not to dominate, but to be present. Again, to be salt and light. So I wanna start by just giving you a little bit of my story, my history, my, my whole background. Because I know when we come into a subject like, like politics, government, faith, any of these subjects, uh, a, lot of, a lot of our background and our own personal history weighs into the ways that we think and behave. Um, and just to give you a quick background for me, um, you know, my parents' heritage. So I, my, my dad was American, Scotch-Irish. Um, he served in the Navy, uh, went over and served in the Vietnam War where he met my mother, who is Vietnamese. And so he married her, brought her back. And so my, my dad is, a, is an American, natural-born citizen, and my mother is an immigrant. All right, so one a citizen by, by birth, one by, by immigration, right? She came into our country. And so I feel like I've had an inter- interesting perspective and I have an appreciation for America. I love our country and I love the freedoms it offers. That it, my mother was, was a recipient of the grace and kindness of, of our nation, and so I appreciate it. But, but growing up, I uh, grew up in, in Midwest. Uh, Ohio is for some reason called the Midwest. I don't know why. It's, it's more east than west or mid, but anyways, um, Midwestern values. My, I remember I was a child of the 80s, all right? So grew up, and, and the first president I remember as a child was Ronald Reagan. 
And I feel like everybody loved Ronald Reagan. Everybody loved him. And my, my family was the same way. My dad uh, was, I would have classified him as a Republican, right? So we, I grew up in the 80s, loved President Reagan, just by default, we're, we're a Republican family. And then something flipped as I got into high school. 1992 um, was the year that uh, my dad flipped from being a Republican to voting for Bill Clinton. And that kind of threw me like, into a whirlwind. I was kind of disconnected from politics and the world scene, but my dad, I remember, voted for Bill Clinton. And that was also the same year that I came to faith in Jesus. And when you come to faith in Jesus, and I, a lot of my thoughts and ideas and beliefs were undeveloped uh, at, at best, right? And so I remember trying to weigh through all this and figure all this out. But this is kind of some of my personal background, okay? So I became a Christian began to form my worldview around what the Bible says, what God says is truth, and, uh, and now I'm a pastor. And so I'm in an interesting position now where uh, my calling as a pastor is to, is to follow Jesus, it's to preach the Bible, preach what the Bible says is true, um, to m- represent Jesus, to make disciples of Christ. And so, so that puts me in an interesting place of leadership and an interesting place publicly where I have a platform to speak to people. And one of the things I'll tell you that I will not do as a pastor, and I know some pastors do, but one of the things I will not do, or some of the things that I will not do as a pastor, is I'm not gonna endorse a candidate. All right, I won't do it. I'm not gonna pick a party. Uh, I'm not gonna do that either. Um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna very rarely, if ever, speak about specific policy when it comes to politics, unless, you can draw a straight line from scripture to that particular issue or policy. And we'll talk more about that next week, all right? Um, but here's the thing I don't wanna do. I don't want to, as a pastor, as a leader, I don't wanna bind your conscience to anything except what the Bible says, all right? And so I have to be careful about what I say publicly. And I don't, so I'm not gonna pick a side, endorse uh, any particular um, left or right uh, ideology. Uh, I'm going to try to say what the Bible says, and I'm going to try to speak to what the Bible speaks to. And then beyond that, there's a lot of Christian freedom. And again, we're going to talk about this more next week, but I want you to understand kind of my perspective coming into this. And I also want to say this. This is my disclaimer for this morning and for this series, is that this is not in particular a, an area of passion for me, politics. It's not an area of passion or expertise, by any stretch, all right? So I want to be careful with what I say, and I want to ask you, all of y'all, and everyone online, to give a lot of grace, all right? I love that we, we sang the song about fighting our battles before we, we talk about politics, right? Because a lot of times we think of politics as fighting and um, being on different sides and all of this, and the way we fight our battles, the way we, as followers of Jesus, fight our battles is on our knees and submission to the Lord, and that's not necessarily the way our our nation or our world fights battles, right? Uh, there's a lot going on there, but we get to be, and, and this is part of the point of, of this book that I love, is as followers of Jesus, as the church, we get to be an example, a community of what it looks like to not agree on everything and yet to still walk in grace and love towards one another. And the church gets to lead the way. The church really is a political group of people, and we'll, we'll talk about that more 
Um, but so let me just ask you to give, give grace to me and to one another as we work through this series, all right? So let me give you a couple of resources um, to, to just hang back on. So I'm not going to say everything there is to say, obviously, about politics and faith uh, in this short two-week series, but I want to give you some resources. One is this book, which is the How the Nations Rage, what our, our series is titled after. It's by a guy named Jonathan Lehman. Um, incredible book. This really helped me. The subtitle is Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age. And it's really helped me to rethink a lot of things, things that I, I in the past have stiff-armed and said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. So this has helped me. This is kind of going to be our textbook for this series. There's another book that just came out um, this past week called Before You Vote, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask by David Platt. I haven't read it, uh, but I really respect and love the ministry of David Platt. Uh, and so I want to recommend that I listen to a great podcast, thanks to Kim Therian. Uh, but those resources, and there's also another uh, series of online, it's like an online workshop or a webinar with Jonathan Lehman. Uh, it's like a four-part series. They're each like 50 or 60 minutes long. I would encourage you, if you want to check that out, the, the link is in the Bible app in the sermon notes. But those are some, some great resources. And what I love about these two, these two authors is that they're both pastors in the Washington, D.C. area. <laughs> All right, so imagine what that would be like to go to church in the nation's capital where you have folks who are uh, liberal, conservative, moderate, everywhere in between doing life and church together. Y'all, that's messy. And I think there's an incredible beauty and grace in that. Um, and so there's some wisdom, I think, from those two men. So I want to encourage you to check those out. They probably have way better stuff to say than I do. So check those resources out. So let's, let's start out doing this. I want to define politics. I just want to step back and define what politics is. And, you know, I was, I was looking for a good definition but if you, if you start trying to Google, you know, what is politics, you get all kinds of, of definitions and some kind of circular and all these things. And so I picked a, a very simple definition, and it was from Wikipedia. So some of you may write me off from the start, all right? But I thought this made so much sense to me. I'm a simple guy. So this, this helped me to kind of put this in perspective. Politics is the way that people living in groups make decisions. Politics is about making agreements between people so that they can live together in groups. In large groups, such as countries, some people may spend a lot of their time making such agreements. These people are called politicians. Politicians and sometimes other people may get together to form a government. So this is the idea, and, this, this, and maybe this is very simplified, but it helped me to, to put this in perspective. Because sometimes when I think of politics, I, just, I think of politicians who disagree vehemently with each other and demonize and vilify one another and just argue and they have their issues and stances. And to, to step back and say, well, this is, this is really what politics is. It's how do people live together? How do we govern our life together? So let, let, me, let me give you an example. Uh, one of the examples that Jonathan Lehman uses in his book that was helpful for me. So he said, imagine uh, there's, there's, you're on a cruise ship and the cruise ship goes down and three of you survive. You make it to this, this deserted island and the three of you are on this island together. And what you do is you kind of, at first, you, you stay to yourself and you're doing your own thing, but but soon you realize it's, it's better for us to work together. So you start working with one another to survive. 
And what you find is, is one of you um, gets really greedy when it comes to the food. You want more than your fair share. One of you gets really lazy when it comes to like being on tiger patrol. Right? And then one of you, uh, say you are the one who gets really angry at the falling coconuts that land on your head you know, every hour. So you have these, you have this, these different issues and you're fighting with one another and you, you come together and you make this decision. Okay, let's, let's come up with some rules, some, some things that, we can, uh, that will help us to live together in harmony. And so you kind of create this social contract, all right? This is the idea of kind of, of, of politics and government, establishing these rules and these contracts so that we can live together and not kill one another. I think we need to set up government in every single family. You know what I'm talking about? Every family has their own politics. And sometimes we say, like I say, I hate politics, but politics, and sometimes we've said, I hate politics in the church. And we all, we all understand when we talk about politics in the workplace and these things, but every environment involves politics. How do, that involves people, involves politics, because how, do we, how are we gonna live and function together? So this is kind of the idea behind Politics. Now, there's two kinds of, of governments that you see, broadly speaking, show up throughout the course of the Bible. You have those that are under God, that recognize they're under God, and so what they do is they seek to follow God's laws and God's ways and protect God's people. And then you have this other kind of government that, that pops up throughout the scriptures where the, they're not seeing themselves as under God, but they believe that they are God or that they're equal to God. And so they're not necessarily trying to follow God's ways. They may not be protecting God's people. In fact, they may be persecuting God's people. But these are kind of the, the governments that you see show up throughout the scripture. So I wanna ask a big question here when it comes to government. Where does government authority come from? Where does government authority come from? And what we're doing, again, these, these two weeks, I don't know where you're at on the political spectrum and where your thoughts are in regards to all of this, but what I'm, what I'm gonna share this week and next week are things that have, that have helped me in, in my rethinking of politics and faith. And so this, this idea is, is really helpful for me. Where does government authority come from? So in America, obviously we're a republic, we're a democrat, a democracy, and so our our, our Authority, our governing authority comes from the people, right? In a democracy. Uh, you've heard Abraham Lincoln say uh, democracy is uh, of the pe- uh, by the people, of the, of the people, by the people, for the people, right? Did I mix up? I mixed up my words there. Um, but we understand it's, 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 it's as the Declaration of Independence says, it's from the consent of the governed. So the authority comes from us. It comes from the people. Now, in the Bible... Authority comes from not the people, but from God. It comes from God. And I want to read to you Romans 13, 1, 1 to 4 here. Which is, Romans 13 is an incredibly helpful passage for followers of Jesus when it comes to the, the role of, of government and our response to government. Romans 13, starting in verse number 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority, and, and what I want you to do, I have some words in bold, that I want you, as I come to those, I want to pause, and I want you to read those out with me, okay, because this is showing us where this governing authority comes from. So let me back up and start over. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists 
what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. All right, so you see over and over, you see this idea that God is the one who initiated and established government. This isn't a man-made creation. This comes from God. He established it. Government represents God. And government, the government is, is, is meant to be his servant, to be his minister for our good and for his glory. And so this is, to be honest, this is a reason why I've, I've had a sense of conviction and I would say repentance in my life about hating politics because it is, it is from God. It is given to us, given to the human race in order to live to, together. And so for me to hate something that God has created and something that God has established, man, I need to step back and, and repent of that. Uh, for me to say, well, I hate marriage. I hate the institution of marriage and I hate the institution of family. It's to go against what God has created for my good, for our good. And so, so one of the things that has helped me is to see that government and governing authority, ultimately, if we trace it back to its roots, it comes from God. It is from God and it's for God and it's for our, our good. And so, you know, go back to that example of, of the, the three of us stranded on an island, right? Where does that governing authority come from? Well, in a democracy, it would be, okay, the three of us, we have agreed, the people have agreed, this is how we're gonna order our behavior. Here's the, the rules and the laws of our little island, of our, of our government. And so it's, it's, it's for the people, it's by the people, it's of the people. But say that we are followers of Jesus, and, and we believe what God has said, we'll, we'll still honor those things, but it, the why behind it is we're, we're, not, we're not keeping up with a social contract because of one another. We're obeying the contract because it's from God. It's by God. It's, it's to honor the Lord. And so where does that governing authority come from that's important in the way that we see this idea of politics and government? So I want to spend a few minutes talking about this the three purposes of, of government, the three purposes of government. And again, I'm, I'm sharing things that through the scriptures and through reading this book have caused me to think and rethink how I look at politics and government and faith. And so again, I'm just hoping these things might be helpful for you. But three purposes of government and what you see is, and this is really true for almost everything in humanity, that it traces its roots or origins back to the book of Genesis. Even the opening chapters of the book of, of Genesis. And I want to walk you through this for, for just a minute because this is helpful to see where, where government came from and what it was established for, the purposes of government. So think about the Bible back in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the world. God creates Adam and, and then Eve. And then he gives them a commission. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Okay, so what, what God has done is he, he sets up Adam and Eve as kind of a king and queen of creation. 
and says, I want you to rule over all of my creation and help it to, to flourish and to thrive. But what happens immediately after God gives this instruction, at least in the, in the, the course of Scripture, we see in Genesis 3, they go their own way, right? They begin to rule themselves in their own way, and they, they walk away from God's ways and from God's kingship and lordship, and they, they sin, and they plunge the human race into sin, and, and we see it gets worse and worse. We see it in the first, the first kids of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. We see a, a very graphic demonstration of what happens when people are able to rule themselves. We see Cain murders Abel. And then sin continues to run rampant, and God is disgusted by the sin and violence that has filled the earth. And so God does this amazing work of, of the flood, where he basically says, we're starting over, and I'm going to start with this one righteous man and his family, Noah. And so through the, through the flood and through uh, God preserving Noah and his, families, uh, and his family and the animals, he starts over. And then in Genesis 9... As, as Noah's family comes off the ark, God repeats the commission that he originally gave to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. But, but what he does this time around is he, he limits their dominion. This is important to see. Genesis chapter nine, and really this could be, this is a foundational verse in, in understanding culture from a biblical, or a government from a, a, a biblical perspective. Genesis chapter nine, verses five and six. He says to Noah, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so what you see here is three times God says, I will require, I will require, I will require. So God has, has put a limit on the dominion of man. He says, there's some things I want you to do to help creation flourish, but there's a limit here. There's a boundary. He says, I will require. So what we see here is that God is the one who establishes government right here. He, he makes a requirement. Well, what does he require? I don't know if you saw it in the verse there. It's underlined for you. He says, I'll require a reckoning, a reckoning. He's gonna require some kind of judgment, some kind of action. What God does here is he, he authorizes humans to use force against one another in the face of injustice. So God establishes government right here. He, 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 sets, he sets it up and says, I'm gonna require something, a reckoning. You're not just gonna get away with sin. There's a judgment that's gonna come. So based on this idea and this thought, and we're, and we're gonna kind of move through this quickly, but I wanna talk about these three, three purposes of government. All right, here, here's the first one. Based off what we see here, it's to render judgment for the sake of justice. To render judgment for the sake of, of justice. All right, that, that is the very first, first thing here that we see God establishes, that, that when injustice takes place, there, there's gonna be judgment. There's gonna be some kind of punishment or discipline that your actions are gonna carry with it. So to render judgment for the sake of justice. Here's, here's a second idea, and these all build on one another, and, and again, we, we don't have the time to, to, to spend a lot uh, in this section, um, but, but I hope it's helpful for you. 
Render judgment for the sake of justice. Here's a second thing, which builds on the first. To build platforms of peace, order, and flourishing. To build platforms of peace, order, and flourishing. So in other words, that, that commission, that mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve, and then later to Noah and his family, it was to, to, help, to help the creation, to help people thrive and flourish. There would be order and, and peace. So that, and, and so as we deal with with justice, as we, as we try to implement justice, it's so that we can have peace and order and flourishing, which leads to this third thing. It's to set the stage for redemption. To set the stage for redemption. Now, this is the piece for me that was eye-opening. It was helpful for me in my thinking. And again, these build on one another. It's to render judgment for the sake of justice so that we could build platforms of peace and order and flourishing so that... Really, the ultimate is to set the stage for redemption. Let me read you a quote and try to help clarify what we're talking about here. Jonathan Lehman says this, Finally, we come to the ultimate purpose for government. A good government sets the stage for God's plan of redemption. It clears a way for the people of God to do their work of calling the nations to God. I think this is so helpful. So, so we want to have justice so we can have peace and order and flourishing so that you and I, so that we as the church, the people of God, can do the work that God has called us to do in sharing the good news of the gospel. So when we have peace and flourishing and thriving, we have freedom. Listen, one of the reasons we love America is because of our freedoms. We have the freedom every single week to gather and worship like this, to openly worship the God of heaven, the one true God. And there's nations on the earth where this, they don't have this freedom. But one of the purposes of government is to set the stage so that we can do the work of redemption, of calling people to Jesus. You know, when you think about it, God authorizes humans to form governments in Genesis chapter 9. Not long after this, Genesis chapter 12 God calls Abraham, who is going to be the father to the nations, that God was going to bless him, and through him he was going to bless all the nations of the earth. And through Abraham, God was setting in motion his grand plan of redemption, right? That flows, all flows back to Abraham. What preceded this commission, this, this story of redemption? It was God establishing government, that justice would be done, that that, that order and peace and flourishing would take place to set the stage for the work of redemption, the redemptive work of God in the world. And so for me, this, this helps. And it makes so much sense when, when I think about it this way, that everything that God has created, everything that God has set in motion is for his ultimate purpose of redemption, right? He's established everything, not just he hasn't established marriage so that we could just you know, have a life partner and enjoy life and have fun and enjoy things and, and enjoy a, a full life of pleasure, even though that's a side benefit of, of this institution. The ultimate goal is Ephesians 5. It's so that the husband-wife relationship will picture the, 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 the relationship between Christ and his church and the love and tenderness and self-sacrifice and all these things that Christ offers to us that we have in a relationship with Christ. It all points to Redemption and everything that God has done and established and ordered is ultimately really for this, the same purpose of government. It's to set the stage 
for redemption. Everything that he's created. And I've never in my life, I'm just being honest with you, I've never looked at government and said, well, God created government to point people to Jesus. I was like, I feel like it's pointing people towards a different direction, right? But this is what God has established it for, is to set the stage for redemption. The first builds a platform and sets the stage, and then the second begins God's saving work. Man, I hope that helps you all, because it helps, helps me in a big way. I wanna take you to a passage, 1 Timothy 2, one through four. We see just kind of an example of, of this played out as, as, as Paul is encouraging prayer of, of God's people. It says, starting in chapter two, verse one, first of all, Paul instructing Timothy here, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Verse two, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life Godly and dignified in every way. Verse three, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be what? To be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what Paul is saying. This is an example of, of, of these purposes played out. We're to pray for good governments, pray, to, pray for our leaders and our authorities so that we could lead, lead or live a, a quiet and peaceable peaceful life because God wants everyone to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so good governments, we pray for good governments, which help us to lead a quiet and peaceful life, which allows us to share the gospel and to build churches. All right, so you see that playing out? These all build on, on one another. Let me read another quote to you. Jonathan Lehman says, Christians should care about and pray for good government because they want people to be saved. They want people to be saved. We should pray for good government because ultimately we want people to experience the redemption that's in Christ. Amen. Okay, let me, let me, let me kind of go to um, another place here and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here this morning. Psalm chapter two, uh, Psalm two, we're gonna spend a couple minutes here. Psalm 2 is really a historical and yet future kind of vision or view of politics in, in, in our world. Psalm 2, and, and I want us to, to read through these 12 verses here. Starting in verse number one, and this is where the title for this book comes from. You may wonder what, how the nations rage, what, what's, the, what's the point behind that title of this, this sermon series and this book. I want you to see Psalm 2 starting in verse one. The psalmist cries out, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Or do you feel like we live in the midst of a world and a nation where everyone's raging? Everything, everyone, social media, the media itself, everything is raging and it says the people's plot in vain. But catch number, verse number two. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. His anointed is the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, saying, verse number three, let us burst our bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And so the psalmist is saying, why are the nations raging and the people are plotting in vain? The reason they're raging is because they're raging against the Lord and they're raging against 
his son, his Messiah, the anointed Jesus. They're raging against his ways. In verse three, saying, let's, I mean, we wanna tear these bonds off of us. We don't wanna be under the rulership of, of, of this God and his Messiah. And the, so the nations are, are raging and the people are plotting. Catch that, that, that phrase out. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot? See those next two words? In vain. Why are they raging in plotting in, in vain and the division and the contention in our, our current day, in our culture, in our world. It's an illustration of the nations raging against their creator and against his justice and against his ways. And, and if you haven't noticed this, media, the media feeds on rage because when people get outraged, that means more money, more stories, more, more publicity, right? And so the nations are raging and, and we feed off of this. And unfortunately, I wanna say this, I love our country, but unfortunately, America is not exempt from this. Uh, America is, is, is right in the mix of the nations that are raging against her creator, that are raging and, and plotting and plotting against the Lord and, and her Messiah. The nations are raging. And I want you to see as, as, as it goes on here, verse, verses four to nine, this is kind of the, the outcome. What, what's gonna happen at the end of the day, at the end of the age, to, to all the nations that are, that are raging against the Lord, that are plotting their own ways and are trying to self-rule. Verse number four, he who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I want you to see something because the kingdom that we represent, the kingdom that we're all about is the kingdom of heaven. And there is certainly a government when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. It's not a democracy, it's a theocracy. It is ruled by the one true God. And he says, I have set my king in place. He goes on to say, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Speaking of Jesus, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's Vessel, And so here is the truth. God says this, that in my government, in my kingdom, there is a king and his name is Jesus. And he is going to have universal dominion over all the nations, all the peoples, over all of creation. He is the king and he is going to rule and reign over everything. And this is my government is what God says. And and, and lest we come at this and we see this... Man, God is going to judge. He is going to pour out his wrath and his fury. He's going to execute full and final judgment on sin and unrighteousness and injustice. And some of us could read this and be like, man, this is a God of anger and fury and terror. And yet I want, us, I want you to see this is truth. But then the Bible always talks about that God, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. I want you to see the grace here. The offer of grace comes starting in verse number 10. 
the psalmist says, now therefore, O kings, this is the Lord speaking, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Let me give you this gracious but firm warning and promise. Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear, but also kiss the sun. Love the sun, lest he be angry and you all perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so God, he gives us his truth and then like God always does, he shows his grace and his mercy and he says, serve the Lord and love the sun. We, we kind of, I don't know, some of us, like when I hear, see that phrase, kiss the sun, it's like, that's, that feels weird, but it's like, love him, there's intimacy. Embrace him in his way, love him. Serve the Lord, kiss the sun. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so he, he graciously warns us. He gives us a promise, he warns us and says, serve me, love me, there is grace and forgiveness and redemption found there. And so this is Psalm 2. This is, this is why this, this is, we're calling this how the nations rage. But here is, here is the reality. All the nations are raging against the Lord, against his anointed, wanting to rule themselves. But God has called us, his people, to be a nation. A nation within a nation. A holy nation is what the scripture calls us that we can be a nation within a nation. Because I don't know about you all, I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be counted as among a, a, a people who rage against the Lord, that plot in vain against him, that is trying to have my own way. I wanna be a part of a nation who honor his, honors him and glorifies him and loves him and serves him, that kisses the sun. That's the kind of nation I wanna be a part of. And listen, y'all, I love America. I love America. And we're gonna talk more about our role as the church and as American Christians. But you know, we can idolize our country and our nation. And, and, and one of the things that's sobering, and that's, I don't understand, because it's a gray area, but in scripture, you don't see America mentioned. In the end times, in, in, in the prophecy of what's gonna happen, we don't see America show up in the scriptures. It's not, uh, America is not a major player. America is not a superpower in the end times. And it's, one, it's for one of two reasons. One, it's because of the judgment of God on a nation that has raged against him and has plotted in vain, that said, we're gonna go our own way. That could be one reason why America is not mentioned in the scriptures. If we wanna be hopeful and optimistic, the other reason could be because the nation has repented and turned to God. And, and at the return of Jesus, at the rapture of the church, most of our nation has been raptured to be with the Lord. And so it's not present on the earth to be a superpower because God has pulled us up to be with him. And so one way or the other, America doesn't show up, whether it's because of God's judgment on us or because of our judgment of ourselves that we've repented and come to the Lord. But I wanna be a part, either way, I wanna be part of God's holy nation, God's people that are living for the Lord, that have, have 
that are doing everything that we can to set the stage for redemption. Amen. Let me read you one last thing here. You know, you, you may remember again, Abraham Lincoln famously said in the Gettysburg Address, democracy is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Great, incredible speech, incredible statement. And I think it's, it's very descriptive of democracy. And yet I would, when we're talking about biblical government, I would, I would go a little bit further and I would say that government is from God, it's for the glory of God, and it's for the good of his people, it's for our good. Government is from God, it's for the glory of God, and it's for our good. And if we could view, if we could view government in that sense, that it's from God, that it's for his glory, and it's for our good, and it's for the good of our neighbor, it's for the redemption of the nations, maybe this can help us to begin to take steps to be that holy nation, that, that, that city on a hill, the city on a hill, the light on a hill is not America, it's the church. It's Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus. And that's what he's called us to be, amen. And so Father, this morning, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, even in Psalm two, we know that the nations are raging and the people of this planet in so many ways are plotting in vain and trying to break um, the bonds of, of your authority and leadership in our lives. And, and are trying to go our own way. And yet, Lord, you've, you've, you've told us that Jesus is the ultimate king and that he wants to rule our hearts and our lives with justice and with benevolence, with truth and yet with grace and mercy, that you are a good, loving, powerful God that desires to be king of our lives and king of our hearts and that you wanna use us as a holy nation in the midst of this nation as ambassadors of part of your embassy that we could, we could take the good news of the gospel into our culture and into our, our community and into our states and into our country. And every, every, every nook and cranny of our culture, God, would would be influenced by the salt and light of your people. And so God, I pray that you would help us to rethink government and politics and our part in that. God, would you use us as your holy nation to bring our nation to you, that we wouldn't try to redeem our nation, but that we would simply live as your redeemed nation. And God, thank you for the redemption that we find in Christ that is available to us. And we thank you and we praise you and we worship you this morning because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would y'all stand with us? Let's pray.